0: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things Human Factors, Psychology, and Design.
1: Hey, it's episode 180. Today is September 10th, 2020. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf.
2: What's up, Nick? How are you?
1: Hey, I'm, I am. I uh, am. We got a story To talk about today, it is a story uh, about Portland passing expansive city ban on facial recognition tech. This will be fun to tackle from a human factors perspective. Uh, It's a story. All right, but first let's get into some programming notes here. I just want to let everybody know that next week uh, will be a uh, normal episode. And then the following week we'll have our HFES preview. We like to do those every year. Uh, And then we'll have a break before we break down HFES. If you will, Ha-ha. so it'll. We got a lot coming up here um, over the next uh, month. It looks like so. Be on the lookout for some of those episodes. Uh,
2: that's. I just wanted everyone to know. All right, Blake. What do, what do you got? You got something in the
1: programming notes?
2: I do. It's a surprising time. So this week is actually San Diego Design Week, uh, and there's a lot of different talks going on throughout the week. But tonight, if anybody is interested, eh, I don't know when this will actually air. But this evening is the remote no. product development. Uh, talk, uh, so how have people survived and thrived uh, on a panel of local SD designer, design leaders about how they've gone through COVID and transition their companies remotely and stayed connected throughout the entire time. Uh, so I'm sure if anybody's gone to San Diego Design Week, you've witnessed a few things like this all week, uh, but this is, I think, wrapping up most of the week tonight. So so thanks for letting
1: us all know about it tonight when this, this is going to air probably at like... 11 p.m. Pacific, and <laughs> it's gonna be the best. <laughs>
2: that's okay. I thi- I hope they're like actually doing recordings of some of this stuff and whatnot because I can't go to most of it either. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I,
1: I think that's one of the biggest kind of boons of of having uh, all these events virtual is that you know the recording software is so simple. Um, just hit a yes. button on your computer and and you got access to it. Um, yeah, well, that's cool, man. I'm thank you for bringing that up. I, is there a link that we can? Provide, maybe? I'm sure there is, yeah. I mean, there's definitely... We'll we'll look it up. We'll look it up. If we
2: find something, we'll put it in the description below. Uh, Blake, what's going on in your world, though? Man, so last week I was asking you kind of like what you had done with stadia had you played it at all were you into it and you actually gave me an answer answer that surprised me and that you had had been playing on it a bunch and enjoying it so over the weekend i actually burned out my xbox so it no longer functions and that left me having to find alternative means to play video games so i gave stadia another shot And got kind of everything set up in my new apartment with uh, the Chromecast and all that kind of good stuff. And it was interesting to go through the process again um, where I didn't, like, have another option of a different console to play. And I just I still can't get over the fact of playing, like, open-world games like Division 2 or um, Ghost Recon. And you can run into other players from cross-platforms. Like, I I ran into people that I knew that I play Xbox with. And, like, people that only play PC that I've never been able to play with that are friends of mine. So it, w- it was just kind of an interesting experience from a social aspect to be playing, like, open-world games instantaneously from my living room. Um, versus, like like we've talked about probably a hundred times on the podcast, like, the pain of having to, especially on pre-orders of games, right? Like, downloading something the night before, hoping right. that it gets it all done over the bandwidth of your, you know, potentially terrible internet, um but i don't know it was it just renewed my like kind of faith in the experience i just really enjoyed kind of getting to play different games and then the aspect of like leaving everything behind but being able to pick it up immediately was just a lot of fun
1: and and you the the nice thing the thing that i guess is like most appealing to me is if you go over to a relative's house you know, you can go and just, as long as they have a Chromecast, you can be like, "Look, I'm just gonna. Do you mind if I have the TV for a couple minutes? You know, I'm gonna play." And and all you need is your controller, and you link it up, and you know, link it up through your through their Wi-Fi or whatever, and um, and boom, there it is. You know, and and you have everything. You have your save. You have all your games. It's just right there. And that's the beauty of cloud gaming to me is that you can be anywhere. Um, and yeah, I've, I've mentioned it several times on the show before, you know, this being a parent, you need to just drag and drop things, uh, randomly. And so, um, you know, I'll be playing on my phone and then, you know, when baby boy goes to sleep, I can just move it up to the big screen and boom, there it is. Or, you know, if I need to come over to my computer and play, I can do that too with keyboard and mouse. Uh, so it, it affords a lot of flexibility and I'm, I'm glad you kind of went back on that experience and, and tried it again. Um, we'll have to talk afterwards on, on what games you're playing because uh, I'd, I'd like to jump in with you every now and Absolutely. then. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, for me, um, I don't have a whole lot. This week has kind of been a blur. Um, I feel like there's just not a whole lot. I, I feel like I'm struggling this time. I usually have something interesting to talk about. My sink's broken. I don't know. There's, like I can't figure it out. It's the trial and error of trying to... Uh, fix a garbage disposal. I don't know. There's not Those
2: much. things are the I, worst. I I have to take apart and put back together. I I hate sinks and all uh, the all the things that come with it.
1: Yeah, that's that's my life right now. Aside from that, it was a pretty uh pretty quiet week actually. Um I'm sure something interesting happened, but nah, eh,
2: I don't know. Yeah, it's been a weird <laughs> week cuz it's been so short but also so long at the same time with yeah. the holiday. So it's a, it's been an interesting week for right. for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you say we get into the next part of the show? Let's do
1: it. All right. This is the part of the show all about human factors news. This is where we break down everything related to the field of human factors. And this week, we have a little bit of privacy, a little bit of technology, uh... You know, why don't we go ahead and get into what we got up first there?
2: Yeah, so privacy big time this week. So Portland's actually passing an expansive city ban on facial recognition technology. So the Portso- Port- the City Council of Portland, Oregon passed legislation last week that's widely regarded as the most aggressive municipal ban on facial recognition technology so far. Through a pair of ordinances, Portland will both prohibit city bureaus from using the controversial technology and stop private companies from employing it in public areas oakland san francisco and boston have all banned their governments from using facial facial recognition tech but portland's ban on corporate uses in public spaces breaks new ground so the draft ordinance proposing the private ban cities the city for cities risk the fact of biasing people against black people women older people baked into these facial recognition systems and that's the crux of the worry here so evidence of bias in these systems has been widely observed by researchers and even by the u.s federal government in a study published late last year known flaws in these systems can lead to false positives with serious consequences for given facial recognition law enforcement applications so there's a lot to unpack there but it's a I don't know, Nick, this this is kind of a it's not as like deep into the technology breakdown as we typically go. It's much more talking about legislation. But I feel like with a lot of the emerging technology we're we're seeing now and we'll continue to see with things like AI, the how you regulate it and put legislation for or against it is going to become really important. And I think it'll even impact where people decide to live based on the type of technology that's allowed and in what capacity. Uh, so I, I think we're kind of seeing an early or an early on sign of what this is going to look like. But let me hear your take on what you think about all this. This is great. Excellent.
1: That's my take. Uh, no. Okay. So let's, let's break this down. Right. So We've talked multiple times about bias in technology and especially with algorithms. And that's what facial recognition is built on is an algorithm um, that approximates a user's facial features and matches them up with a database, whether that database comes from, you know, and, and there's a lot of controversy about databases themselves. Right. Do you get it from public databases like driver's licenses and mugshots? Um, and if you get it from things like prison systems, then there's a higher likelihood to falsely accuse people of, or or falsely identify people as those inmates, right? And so there's there's a lot of issues with facial um, recognition, uh, e- e- even at the local level on your phone, right? If if you have a sibling that has a face that's very similar to yours, they could perhaps just, you know open up their open up your phone with their face so it's all over and technology is not there this is one of the things where it's like uh I, I think we talked about it last week on the show a little bit where technology is kind of with the Neuralink stuff where technology is kind of getting further out there than um then we can kind of keep up with the ethics and legislation behind it you know um, so, so that's interesting to me that they are, it's almost like the opposite in this case where we're trying to get ahead of the technology because we know it's no good at this point in time. Uh, and that's what this ban is for. Um, the fact that they are banning corporate, uh, use of facial technology is very interesting to me. Um, that to me <laughs> is almost like, uh, a, a damnation for any potential uh companies that want to you know use Portland as a home base to operate in that that focus on that. So it's it's like that to me is almost like a don't come here, we don't want you um statement. Definitely. So yeah. I, you know, and I I know they mentioned like uh San Francisco in here as well. Didn't they? Yeah, San Some Fran,
2: point. Oakland and Boston. Oakland. Yeah other
1: cities that have done the same Um, and with more and more of these big cities doing this uh, I I wonder when it will cross over to a law of the land uh, rather than a just a localized instance because um, especially in this case since this is the most sweeping uh, largest ban on facial recognition tech that any city has done it'll be curious to see kind of what the effects of this are from both a private and corporate perspective and uh, you know, and see how that goes. And we can use these models as a a basis for a national uh, level ban on this type of technology. And then there's more issues, but I'll stop there and and we can talk about those other issues in a minute. But uh, anything I said there kind (laughs) of spark anything?
2: Well, it's, so I think this is both like a, a great and a bad thing at the same time. Um, great in that I think it's it's awesome that at a local level, uh, cities are able to make not only the choice about like for private sector. I was actually surprised that this was more about the private sector banning than it was like at a law enforcement or federal level, whatever it may be. Um And so it's interesting that we're seeing that ban, but I think it makes a lot of sense, especially in some of these bigger cities that have a lot more tech in them, and so they may have a lot more companies that want to use this. But it's just, it's one of these instances, kind of like, in the similar vein of Neuralink, like where there's something with so much consequence behind it, like, like facial recognition software being used to put people in jail or to, you know, make it so they can be interviewed by law enforcement or just have negative effects in general. I just think it's not at a place where the technology is honed in enough, or maybe the, the reality is the data that's feeding it is not accurate enough. Um, that it just it's too dangerous in that case to put it out there because it could ruin people's lives in a lot of ways. Um, the, the downside, of course, is a lot of these systems are not going to grow as rapidly as right. if they're deployed in the world. But at the same time, I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't use, I'm, I think, use the com- use the facial recognition technology within your own company. Like if you're some, if you're a company that's like trying to dive into that domain, what does it look like in the workplace? What kind of, you know, applications does it have there? I think there's still a lot of great places for this to be, but I I do believe that in a lot of ways, this still has to stay in like R&D. Like it's, it's, it's just too, it's too early for it to be out there helping, you know, law enforcement or making like really intensive decisions.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was the other issues that I was referencing earlier. So this is interesting to me because you're right. It's going to be more and more difficult to um, sort of get this technology, this facial recognition technology to a more mature state with these types of bands in place. I I haven't looked at the actual details, um, but the... The fact they're not allowed to use it or employ this technology in a public area, I I guess my question is, what does that mean? Does that mean you can't put cameras and overlay software to detect people's faces, like even for the point of research? Because, I mean, that to me is hamstringing this technology, uh, you know, outright versus being able to, you know, if, if there were actions that were provided by um you know facial recognition technology like uh like access to a building or um you know matching it with a with a criminal database that i can definitely see ban it right That there's it's not that mature right now we can't do that but for them to not be able to employ a software that might just match faces with a database, right? I feel like the the action piece of it is is the bad part, and we need we need more research on this to eliminate the bias. And until we have no bias in the system, we're not going to be able to employ this at all. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess that's my question. Maybe I can dig a little little bit in here as maybe you give your thoughts on that piece of it
2: yeah it gets it gets a little harder because I think we're still stuck in this place of like it it's almost like you have to be able to give consent and like like check the box for agreeing to terms and services if you walk into a public space and you're being observed even if it's for the purpose of you know enhancing facial recognition technology and I think that that can be overcome it's like as long as you're able to acknowledge that you know where you're going, they are testing and using facial recognition technology. Um, and it, I think it would definitely hamstring it. I do think there are other ways that we can improve the accuracy of it. Like, of course, using the application, but using different databases may also help. Because there's, there's a plethora of, like, availabilities of APIs for plenty of these social networks that have images attached to them for people. And that could be another way that you could start trying to hone in some of this tech, just giving it better backends. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Even with the removal of like, let's say, consequences, I mean, I don't I don't know how I would feel if I walked into an area and saw a sign and said, like, hey, active uh, facial recognition research going on, your face will be captured and used and stored in a database. Yeah. It's still kinda daunting.
1: Yeah, I mean here's the thing. There, there's a city council uh, commissioner, uh Joanne Hardesty. Hardesty? Um, and and they they give a quote that I think is pretty compelling and makes me almost walk back some of the stuff I said uh, you know no one should have something as private as their face photographed stored and sold to third parties for a profit um, i I agree with that statement i I think just like devices that are always listening, everyone carries around phones with cameras on them everyone carries around, devices with microphones on them and to me the like passive collection piece is is uh i less ethically or or i guess it's more ethically ambiguous to me because it's like if you're just capturing data to i mean ultimately you would be using that data for profit right but um it's not going to directly impact you Maybe it would i I don't know this is okay this this is more complex than i'm i think i'm ah, i don't know I, I'm conflicted with this one and and i, I feel i, well, I, I feel myself walking myself into a corner uh but also at the same time i'm 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 literally thinking about this problem out loud you are you are all hearing <laughs> hearing Nick's thoughts on this live here but um i I don't know it, it's it's a it's a tricky situation and I think they've done the right thing. Right? i'm I'm a fan of progressive policy obviously um but i I, uh, I think they've done the right thing and 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 stopping it at its uh you know kind of before it takes off is the right thing to do because then people can't do things with it until people have decided what can be done with it if that makes sense I don't know but the technology is still hamstrung so i it's it's this weird place anyway you I, I cut you off I'm sorry
2: I mean, it, it is. It's a really strange place. But I think you made a good point about, I mean, you are always carrying a camera and a listening device that you don't necessarily, as as the person who owns it, have to ask for consent when you're capturing information from other people. But I think the the difference there is, is a lot of us consent to put a phone in our pockets or to carry it around or whatever it may be. Uh, so I think there therein lies a lot of the difference and I I still don't think that we fully understand the the amount of data that's collected by our our always listening devices um, and maybe even where it's used I have no idea um, but I, th- I think you're right. This is a good place to kind of draw the line, uh, between two things of like selling your data for profit, which I think, which has gotten a lot of companies in trouble over the past year or two. Um, but also stopping putting, allowing something that's so brand new to have severe consequences on your life or just on your well being. um, because, again, I think there's a giant cybersecurity risk, too, when you have these kind of facial recognition databases and then leveraging them, you know, in ways that you didn't intend um, that can, again, impact somebody else's life or whatever it may be. So I think it's a good choice. I do agree with you. I have no idea what this means for the technology. Obviously, it's not going to stop being used everywhere. And I think there's there are ways to keep it kind of in a research World, And I think a lot of the bigger companies that are focusing on this have enough, you know, bandwidth to actually do real studies in-house that could simulate some of the things they want from the real world. Yeah. Uh, But I don't know. I think it's a a great one.
1: Yeah. And I want to offer another sort of point that's, I guess, close to home for us. So I don't know if you saw the news, uh, but the mayor of San Diego um, kind of is postponing. We talked about this on the show uh, weeks ago, these smart streetlights. With the cameras, yeah, uh, they're they're basically postponing using them, um, and so, so it, for the same civil liberty concerns, right? Um, and I think we were pretty jazzed on this a while back, but the more we talk about this this issue of of uh, you know civil liberties and 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 rights, people's rights to you know basically live free without being surveilled, um, I think uh, I, I agree with this decision. Um these these smart lights here in San Diego they were a 30 million dollar uh basically you know that was a 30 million dollar investment and we just up and said nope we can't do this right now um and I think that's the right choice you know uh, data was collected with them yeah. but at the same time it's like uh, apparently they're you know police and uh, other entities are not allowed to use them right now so that's good Um, so I, I think, you know, we're seeing a bunch of wins right now for privacy. We're seeing a bunch of wins right now for, um, this facial recognition tech and surveillance just in general, uh, kind of losing the fight against civil liberties. And that's nice. I I think that's good in, in the long run. Um, and I think it's, it's absolutely the right thing to do now. It's just a matter of when we get there, when the technology is good enough, what do we do with it then? And I think that's that's a conversation for another time.
2: Yeah, I think that's the bigger point because the technology will will grow and it'll get better and it'll get there. It may not do it at this at the speed or scale that people would like to see it do that. People that have like you know invested the money or you know cities that have, that have street lights like this, like San Diego does. Um, but it, it's ultimately becomes that conversation of ethics that I think is going to keep growing in the like the technical field. It'll be a a very philosophical discussion right of how you take these really intensive pieces of technology and not just integrate them into somebody's life but what do you allow that the technology to be used for and what does that look like from the ethics perspective yeah i i i really
1: like this story i think you did a good job with picking this one
2: It's a nice one. It's interesting. And you thought
1: we wouldn't talk about this one for very long. All right. Well, I just want to (laughs) to
2: thank all of our friends
1: over at TechCrunch for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post links to the original articles in our Slack as we find them. So join us over there for more discussion on these. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and then uh, we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community human factors cast strives to bring
0: you the best in human factors chatter every week we pack news interviews reviews and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on but we can't do it without you you see the human factors cast network is 100% listener supported all the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners that's why we're giving back to our supporters on patreon now more than ever Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash Cast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends.
1: All right, and we're back The Patreon. It is chugging. Blake and I just made a big push to make sure that we were uh, not going to be – we have a lot of stuff coming up during the like next couple months, and we just wanted to make sure that we had a lot of content ready to go so that way we didn't get behind on it. We just made a big push. How many episodes did we just produce? Uh. <laughs> over 50? We've had over 50, but hang on. In this in this last push, I'm just checking right now. In this last push, we just made over 24 episodes. <laughs> That's half a years of content. <laughs> it'll it'll be there waiting for you when you're ready. Well, yeah, w- when the time comes. We have we have stuff scheduled out through like the middle of next year at this point. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of nuts. We were trying to do that rolling one year ahead of everything. We kind of got behind. Um, but yeah, the human factors minute is just insane. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about human factors minute. It's a project that Blake and I are very proud of. Uh, we have a ton of episodes in the bank, and uh, more to come for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, but this is a weekly episode that kind of breaks down uh a topic a conference uh, uh, area a slice of human factors it is literally a human factors minute or sometimes a minute and a half and in some extreme cases a minute and 59 seconds i don't think we've had any of those air yet but <laughs> but they, they are very concentrated uh little bites of human factors that um are great for if any of our our listeners are instructors they're great for you know classroom content we have a bunch of them up there uh, I think just this week we did uh, what? what is today what's today I forget I'm losing my mind September okay 10th. this week we did children's issues check that out see I have a I have an Excel sheet with all this stuff up on it with these hundreds of entries of <laughs> we have 176 planned episodes we haven't recorded all of them but we <laughs> that's like three years of content man so much stuff
2: that that actually the children issues one was really cool and i think why the project's been so fun for me is there's so much like i've been a human factors practitioner or ux designer for years now but there's so much to go back and learn and like it's cool to in to really kind of immerse yourself in the human factors field and all the things that are possible through just you know one domain of human fa- or of psychology and engineering so it's a it's a it's a cool thing to go back and just learn all the things that you could possibly do and all the hands that HFES and all these different techno groups have in yeah. the world in terms of research. There yeah. You know. I think it was towards the beginning when we were
1: producing that, that very first batch of everything that we did the Chernobyl mini series. And that one was, a uh, that one was fun. Uh, so that one actually runs through the end of the first year of human factors minute and into the second year. Uh, but it ended up being six parts because we couldn't fit it all into one minute. And I like those, I like those ones that explore the history of something. Um, and so it's uh, and like certain events that happen because there are different slices of that event that you can take. You might argue that's like a human factor six minutes or whatever, but honestly, there are different topics within it and it's, it's, it's a ton of fun. Blake, you were absolutely nailed the hammer, the nailed the nail on the head with the hammer. Whatever. Hit the hammer Whatever with the, the hammer. analogy is, you, you hit it on the head there with that, because I, I agree. I've learned so much by doing this, and, and we hope that we can share some of the knowledge that we've learned and pass it on to you, because it forces us to condense these topics into one-minute segments that conveys the information that you need. Uh, so if, if that's something you're interested in, go check us out on Patreon. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, those of you uh, who have given us support in any way, we, we really appreciate it. It really kind of helps keep the lights on over here. Uh, you know, hosting fees aren't cheap, and and um, we pay for that out of pocket. So any anything that you give to us goes right back into the uh, production of the show. So thank you. Sincerely. It's been a while since I, I've done my sappy soapbox. Thank you for our Patreons. Uh, all right. So why don't we go ahead and get into this next part of the show. That came from... <laughs> It came from. It came from Reddit and other things this week too, so uh, that's fun. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the first one here, and then um, you're gonna do the second couple. All right, All right. let's do it. Uh, this first one here, this one's from Reddit. This one's from uh, Zhang Lun from the Human Factors subreddit. Um, Human Factors mentor needed. All right. I like where this is going. Hello, everyone. I'm a mentor in the human factor. I'm looking for a mentor in the human factors field, especially in the tech tech sector. Uh, I hope we can chat about education, training, career path, and what to do to stay competitive in the industry. A little bit about me. I'm located in the U.S. with a master's in industrial engineering. I'm currently working in a healthcare company as a HFR, human factors researcher. Uh, This is my first job, so I'm still very new to the human factors field. So I just want to know more about the field and career progression. Uh, Please shoot me a personal message if you are interested in talking to me. So anyone on the show, go message this guy or girl
2: or this person. There you go. Do it. Yeah. So typically we like have questions in here and things like this, but it's very rare that I see one, something in the human factor subreddit. So I try and pull it every time if we're going to do one of these, but also it's, it takes a lot of guts to go out of, out of your way and just post something on Reddit or LinkedIn or whatever it is looking for mentors um and i know it's one of those things that can be really rewarding both as somebody who needs a mentor but it also can be a, re- a rewarding experience to kind of become a teacher or, or try and translate some of the knowledge people have gained and i know there are a lot of talented human factors practitioners that do thankfully listen to our show so if this is something you are interested in i know nick we put we post links to the reddit posts in our like descriptions and stuff like we do. that don't we well, there you go. So, if it's something you're interested in, or if you've ever, you know, wanted to take on a mentor, or want to try your hand at trying to convey and teach some of your knowledge, this is a great way to start. Yeah,
1: and I will. I I feel like I might be opening the door a little too wide here, but if if you ever have any questions, like I don't know, full time mentor might be uh, too much for Blake and myself to handle with production of the podcast every week on top of our other duties. But we are always an- happy to answer one off questions. Never like. <sighs> I hate the way some people uh, 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 gatekeep knowledge and and uh, accessibility. Like, I'm better than you because of my degree, and that's absolutely not – like, we're all people. We're all freaking people. So just – if you have a question, no question is too stupid. That's why we do this segment of the show every week. Like, if you have a question that's, like, burning, reach out to Blake and myself. Like, we, we, we're on the Slack. All the time, just chatting, you know, human factor stuff, uh, you know, and, and feel like we're pretty approachable anyway. If, if we're in your ear holes and you're listening to us on a weekly basis, um, you know, we, we kind of want to hear back from you, too. So if you have questions, even if they're one offs, like little things like how much should I be asking for my first job? Like that's that's a tough question to ask to know your value. Right. Especially if you've been working minimum wage jobs until out of outside of your master program. That's something that for me was a challenge. And then. And then I didn't even realize what I was worth. Right. And so that's it's a big question. So, yes, ask those types of questions. We're happy to answer whatever, you know, from, based on our experience. And we might have uh, connections with other people that might help you out, too. So reach out to us. I, I guess that's that's the moral of the story here with Human Factors. And, and if you are in a place of privilege, have had many years in the field, um, offer your services to somebody. I think you're very right, Blake. It can be both rewarding for the mentor and the mentee. So, yeah, do it.
2: Yeah, and there's no time like now to pay it back, too, because there are a lot of people out there that are juniors in a bunch of different fields, whether it's UX, human factors, UX research, whatever it may be. So it's a good time to pay it back. It's a good time.
1: All right, Blake, you put two more in here, um, and I want you to talk about these ones because these are really cool.
2: All right. So here we go. So this is one of these times where I got called on my own shit and it was a good time. So this is something I always, when I start with a new like student through design lab, um, I'll always kind of like get a sense of what their goals are. What do you want to do? And typically the goal is to transition to a UX design career or a UX research career. Um, And the biggest thing for me that I try and get people to do up front, like even when you feel like you don't have any skills, all you've got is interest in the field, is to start networking. Now, I had a student last night ask me, well, okay, you've, you've said this to me a couple times, I, I want to get started, but what does it actually mean when you say that? So you always say that it's important to network, and maybe it's the even the most important thing you'll do while you're learning new skills, be it human factor skills, research skills, design skills. But what does it actually look like? How do you do it? And also, this was the kicker for me, uh, so how do you do it if you're an introvert? I think we've we've answered something on the podcast like this yeah. before, um, but Nick, <laughs> let's okay. jump in and start with you. Uh, uh, yeah. So, how do you what kind of advice do you have to give for people that are trying to figure out how to network or what does it mean? start a
1: podcast in your field and uh make connections that way no <laughs> it's easy for me to say uh so no here's the thing is um that's actually one of the driving forces behind creating this show was was for uh you know Blake and myself Blake joined on very early in the show um but during sort of the inception phase of this this podcast it was hey, I want to be involved in this field. I'm an introvert myself and recharge uh, by not being around folks. And so, um, you know, being out there is something that's very difficult to me. But I was doing this with friends. Um, I do this with you every week, Blake, and you're my friend and I can sit here and talk to you about these things and you won't judge me. And it's very easy for me to put out of my mind the many people that listen to this show and say... (laughs) you know what, my voice is going to be out there and they'll listen to it. Okay, fine. Uh, They'll probably call me on something. That's fine. It's fine. But in the moment, it's just me and you BSing about human factors. Um, Now, how this relates to networking, obviously, Blake and myself have been very fortunate uh, through the outlet of the podcast to be connected with many people um, in organizations that are relevant to human factors uh, and have had many opportunities to sit and chat with folks Many of these interviews that we provide to you don't end with the interview. We keep in contact with them. We talk to them fairly regularly. And so, um, you know, from from my perspective, that is the way that we network. However, uh, before we were big into the podcasting game, Blake, um, I will say one thing that I did to network was go to these conferences. And I know it's hard right now, especially with COVID. Um, and I know it's hard in general, too, to go up and introduce yourself to somebody but the biggest thing that I can recommend to you is either if, if there's a paper that you have read that resonates with you, that's in your field of study, um, the, reach out to the author. The, the author would love to talk to you about it, especially if you have. Absolutely. And, and here's here's a pro tip that I was taught by my advisor. Mess shit up when you send them an email because they will love to correct you be like absolutely hey, my understanding yeah. of this was a plus b equals c and I'm like no 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 no, no. <laughs> a <laughs> c minus a equals b and it's very different and here's why <laughs> so that's what you do you mess it up so that way and then you have a conversation um it can be weird to kind of cold contact somebody um but you know there there are plenty of resources out there, and if you're listening to the show right now, reach out to Blake and myself. Like I said in the last thing, we'd be happy to help you out with that. Like it, it, reaching out to folks is is probably right now in times of COVID the best way to get a hold of somebody. Um, in the not times of COVID, when things get back to normal, um, going up to somebody after a talk is always a good way to connect be like, "Hey, this thing that you said uh really resonated with me." Like, you know, I'll go up to people who give VR talks and I'll sit and BS with them for a couple minutes after and I've actually gone out for drinks with people afterwards, you know? It's it's a good time. Um and they're your people. Like they are your people. They they get it. And if people are jerks, then people are jerks and you they don't deserve to be in your life. I guess that's my my point, right? Everyone everyone wants to network. Everyone wants to make better connections. Um, and it can be especially hard if you're just getting into the field. Uh, but, I mean, you just got to pay it forward, right? Once, you, once you've once you connected with somebody, then connect with somebody else. Make it easy for others to connect with you. Um, and, yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm rambling at this point, Blake, but what, what do you think? How, how do you network?
2: Yeah, so it, it's kind of funny because I always think about the fact that we do the podcast and I never think about the fact that anybody listens to it. Because if I did, I don't, I couldn't do the show. I, I can tell I, you right now how many I people are listening down. to the show. Uh, there you <laughs> well, go. Well, right now none because we're so, recording. But
1: when it goes live, I can tell you.
2: It, there you go. Uh, but so this is uh, – it's been a hard thing always for me. I'm a very introverted person. Um, I Yeah, social interaction can be really hard for me. Uh, and one of the things that's really helped is doing this podcast because it has gotten like the being able to BS and just talk about topics and that, how that translates to having conversations with friends, students of mine. It just it works really well. So if you, if there's parts of you know UX or niche topics that you're really interested in, like the UX of video games, start a podcast and just. Do it with a friend. That's the best way to do it Uh, because it's just like you're, you're talking about something you're interested in. You can go back and forth. You have a bit of banter and it can just be a good way to develop, you know, how you talk, how you think about things critically on the spot. So that's a really, it is a really good suggestion that Nick gave. Now, COVID kind of introduces some, some interesting challenges for sure, but I think the strategy has always been the same for me. So like I said, networking was always very tough. Um, a mentor of mine recommended that the best thing that I could do from an, if I wanted to break into a new field, was to get involved in it somehow. So for me, that was early on getting involved in like a, a UX design organization. Cause for like, I don't know how long, for a long time, I wanted to transition into UX design and here I am. Um, and so that was getting involved in UXPA LA, uh, being a volunteer member on their board, helping just run events, put marketing campaigns together, doing things that were outside of the realm of what I wanted to do so that I could meet more people. And that basically forced me to have to go to events and actually forced me to have to use social media a lot more in a way to leverage my need for networking. Um, And so outside of that, when I stopped doing that, Networking became a lot harder. I didn't have a forced interaction for you know going to events, because, and I didn't really have a whole lot of people that I would go with. So the way that I kind of came up with a strategy for myself was based off of what I learned from being a marketing director. So part of my job was live tweeting events. So I took that, and I decided that once a month, I would go to a, a UX event in San Diego and I moved back down here, live tweet the event, and that would be it and then the next month i would live tweet the event talk to one person and that was it and i just progressively set milestones like that until i was again talking to board members on you know on the ixda in san diego and then also like giving out my card to people that i wanted to go work at their companies so that was the biggest thing for me is setting achievable milestones that allowed me to be okay with being an introvert be okay with feeling awkward but also feeling like Okay, hell yeah! I hit the goal for this meeting that I had set for myself, and anything I do from here is like a bonus, and that helped tremendously. And I think you often find, like like Nick alluded to, if somebody's gonna be a dick, great, that's fine. Get them out of your way, and you don't have to. You don't have to end up working for them. You don't have to end up working with them, um, and it opens up the doors for plenty of people who are awesome and who want to share their knowledge or connect you with people they know. So it's just, it. I don't know. So again, the the real way that I've networked is just throwing yourself in the deep end, but also being, being okay with the fact that it's going to be awkward, it's going to feel a little weird. And in virtual events, I think the same thing holds true. I mean, the advice that I gave to one of my students yesterday was do the same thing. Just go to a virtual event, and that's it. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to figure out how to do chat room stuff in Zoom or whatever. And then the next time you go and you ask a question during a talk, and then the next time you do something else. So it's just a tiered approach to networking, basically. A tiered approach that will end in tears if you try to do it. Okay, no,
1: I don't even know where I was going with that. Um, yeah. Again, reach out to us. I'm I'm offering that on the on the show. So I hope I hope we our Absolutely. inboxes aren't aren't uh flooded anyway uh you have one more thing in here that you thought was neat and i thought this was neat too uh, We want to talk about it
2: yeah that's right so again i work with a lot of junior ux designers but i think this applies to anybody that is kind of building their ux or hf portfolio um, whether it's design or research focused so one of my students actually reached out to me because part of the design lab curriculum that i help out with you have to actually uh do a bunch of capstone projects and you're it's offered for you to be able to work for other companies. And a lot of people will come to me asking, how do I find like a nonprofit to work for or whatever it may be. And most of the time I give them the same answer. It's just like a lot of networking, trying to ask people who know people type of thing. Well actually there's a resource that's really good for this and it's called uh design gigsforgood.org and we've actually got a link in the description for the podcast, um, that is the design gigs for good.org job board. So places that are looking for help, whether it's like volunteer paid, whatever it may be. Uh, but I don't know, this is a great way to like either build a side hustle for yourself. If there's like, you know, you want to help somebody with front end, you want to help do some design, but it's also a great way to, you know, build out that portfolio. If you're trying to find like a a full-time job and you find yourself with some time and it's, it, it's a great way to give back to just your community in general and the user experience and human factors community as well. So just uh, another resource for you guys to check out during kind of a, a, tough time I know for building, you know, portfolios and finding jobs. Yeah. All
1: right. Well, it's a shorter, I, I think that's a great resource, man. That's that's awesome. I'm glad somebody found something that you weren't aware of and I wasn't aware of either. We always love surprises, pleasant surprises. Super short sh- short show tonight, man. This is, what 40, 46 minutes, or so.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, I think we've been like super lucky with the banter for the past yeah. couple of weeks. I think that's actually driven <laughs> uh, so much of the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, okay, but uh, maybe next week we'll see.
1: All right. Well, that's gonna be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news story this week. You can, like I said earlier, you can join our discussion on our Slack or follow us on any of our social channels at H Factors Podcast. You can also email us, show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, you can do that in a couple different ways. You can always leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice, or if you're financially able, consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, we like to give back to the people who support us on Patreon too, so you get something out of it as well. And of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnstor for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about ideas for how to banter on a podcast?
2: Absolutely. You guys can always find me in the Human, human Cactors cast- human- Fast. <laughs> human, factors ca- human Factors Cast Slack at Blake. Um, but uh, you can also find me across social media and LinkedIn. As at for me, I've been Panic your host, Nick Ux. Rome.
1: You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Cactors Fast. Until next time, it depends. It depends.